Hey, how's it going everybody? So this is uh, the first inclusive activism questions and comments podcast. I've been letting this stuff build up for a while and I know I've been begging uh, off and on for a really long time uh, to have something to respond to, to create a sense of dialogue. But I think I think I finally got enough stuff that like I can do a whole podcast just kind of talking about some of the things that you have sent me. So some of this has been emails that I've received through inclusiveactivism.com. Some of this has been Facebook comments that I've gotten. Some of this has been uh, Facebook uh, like direct messages that I've gotten from different people. And so when we talk about this, uh, we're going to explore things. If there's things that I feel like I need to address as I read things, I'm going to talk about those things. But again, we're doing it at a place of non-judgment, a place to like try to learn more from each other and then develop more. So with that, let's kind of get into some of the questions and comments that you've built up over the past couple months. So, all right, first one is from Misty. She says, hey there, Professor D. I go by Professor D in my college faculty job because it's really hard for Rowdy to have to assign Fs to students. Uh, so I go by Professor D because I do have to hold folks accountable for being their best selves, and that's what I attempt to do. But this is from Misty, one of my students in my first uh, class, the first couple classes I even did at Phoenix College, so it was really cool. I hope your family are doing well during these COVID times. <clears throat> I just finished a class on physiological psychology, basically neuroscience stuff, and we talked a little bit about hallucinogens and their effects on the brain. It's medical use for treating mental health and trauma as well as increasing neuroplasticity. Uh, see the website below. You're not going to be able to see that. Uh, they have a series on it with studies and data. Probably no surprise as, as hallucinogens have been used for years in different cultures, but they carry a stigma here, even with supportive data on how well they can potentially help. I thought about you as I was going through the articles. Side note, I had a discussion with my professor on the evolutionary benefits of hallucinations as it is so intertwined with serotonin receptors and may naturally exist for our own sensory perceptions. Anywho, I thought I'd pass along the information and also thank you for the Tara Brock podcast recommendation for my son. Tara Brock is a Buddhist practitioner, meditator that kind of helps you be present and uh, develop more loving kindness in your life. So with that, yeah, that's great stuff. Uh, I know uh, I am considering doing a hallucinogenic um, journey with a uh, with an indigenous practitioner at some point in time because I've heard about amazing breakthroughs that could potentially happen. I am a little scared. I've never done really any mind-bending substance before, but if I am going to do it, I want to do it with somebody that has a sense of uh, what is supposed to happen, how to walk me through the good and the bad as I heal from some of the junk that's up in my head as well as deep within my soul. Uh, and that's really what the medicine is supposed to do. But yeah, it's really amazing what can happen if you are working with someone that really knows like how to make the medicine work within you so you can heal some of the trauma in your head and in your heart uh, because the medicines help, the plant medicines really do help you uh, deal with some inner trauma and show you the deeper connectedness of all beings, as I understand it, uh, but I haven't done it yet. All right, so this one is from Parker. Too often I hear radical feminists say the term men ain't shit and men are trash uh, because they're how we're treated and because of how certain men act. So I'm gonna put a pin right here. Um, first off, like radical feminists, like I'm a radical feminist too, so when we say radical feminists, like we're just talking about someone that would like radically potentially push for 
making sure that women have equal access to all rights and privileges that men do. So I don't think it's necessarily radical to be a feminist. Um, but I know what you're talking about. You're talking about behaviors here, but I wanted to kind of correct that radical feminist language because a true heart of a feminist person is just making sure equity exists across gender for all. Um, but again, right, so he's talking about that they say men ain't shit, men are trash, uh, <clears throat> because of their how they're treated and how certain men act. Act. I developed this concept to say, no, men aren't trash, and women aren't trash. No one is trash. I don't think any person is trash. I think people do trashy things, but I don't think they're trash. Uh, what, what's trash is the way that's clouded their vision. Uh, it's not a necessity, but they refuse to find partnerships or find opportunities to create relationships, uh, potentially romantic or otherwise, because they do not want to interact with the male gender. Um, so with that, uh, I would say uh, certain women probably experience a lot of like pain at the hands of certain men, and it's really hard to disassociate male identity from male people at times, especially given the amount of pain and trauma that women have gone through at the hands of specific men. Um, but understand, like we all look like a threat potentially to someone that's endured a lot of trauma. And so I try to give space and understanding from that. Um, but I do get the sense of what you're attempting to talk about here is we wanna like break apart behavior from identity. Um, so back to what you're saying. My attitude is men slash women are trash, is, is not, sorry. My attitude is not men slash women are trash, men slash women ain't shit. It's about how people act like trash towards each other, right? Yeah, good point, Parker. We wanna try to differentiate behavior from identity. Um, and my point is once we accept each other's differences, once we can accept human psychology, and once we can accept that everyone is capable of everything regardless, once we accept that everyone comes from a different place and comes from a different background, it will help us understand each other more. Yes, it is truly our differences that make us special and unique. Uh, and again, sometimes that's hard for people because of the abuse and trauma that they suffered through. So I think Part of what we need to do with what you're asking here is extend empathy to folks that are experiencing this difficulty and understand that they need some time, maybe just around their group, right? Like sometimes black people need to spend time just with black people talking about the difficulty of surviving whiteness. Sometimes women need to spend time around just women because they need to come up with like language as well as understanding like what's happening to folks so they can survive maleness and masculinity that can be difficult and toxic at times. And I think that's what you're seeing with that retreat. Um, it doesn't always happen forever. Sometimes it happens for a shorter period of time. But again, it's one of those things that's really difficult and we want to allow folks that have experienced some of that trauma space to do that. Uh, and then hopefully our behavior shows who we are and then they may be willing to give us more of a chance. All right, back to you. Um, people do it without intention, uh, people without doing it intentionally refuse to do that, like separate um, behaviors from people. Let's educate those people, Rowdy. <laughs> well, we're doing the best we can, Parker, right? I want people to understand not all men are rapists. I don't think anybody really thinks all men are rapists. If all men were rapists, everybody would be getting raped all the time over and over again. However, men don't really do anything about stopping rape. And because most men, like most rapes are committed by men, uh, it is considered a male issue. And I think that's one of the things you're experiencing is these women are talking about rape being a male problem, like males need to take this on more. So of course, not all men rape, like obviously that's true. But more men need to be actively anti-rape to create what we're needing to see. 
um, like I for say, example, I'm a male anti-rape advocate, and I go into male spaces and I talk about these things so we can look at trying to heal men from the problem of this issue. Do, 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 do. Um, he goes on to say, not all females are weak, feeble beings. Obviously, this is the case. Like, I don't think any females are weak, feeble beings. Um, but I get that you're understanding that you're talking about misogynists that see women this way and see the problematics of, like, how they stereotype women in their head. People need to appreciate a man for who he is and uh, what he can provide. Well, you know, I think we should appreciate men no matter what. You don't have to necessarily just provide, um, like, our... Our humanness has joy and insight with it as well. And people need to appreciate a woman for her strength and her resilience and for not having to fear, not have any fear to be by herself anymore. Uh, let's celebrate people, let's attempt to tear people down. So really, uh, when I read this, I was the heart of what I understand Parker was saying and understand uh, I understand for the rest of the audience some people are gonna be like Parker you said some kind of problematic things there <clears throat> well it's hard to type this stuff out and not just have it in a dialogue and again we're trying to have a dialogue here with what was written here and it's difficult when we can't kind of talk back and forth to each other but really the heart of what Parker is attempting to talk about is let's not associate people with bad behaviors that are associated with other folks right like we don't want to say all men are a certain way. We want to talk about masculinity's got problems in the way it does this. And men should do less of these behaviors and these activities. And so uh, what was nice is Parker's email helped to spark the council culture idea that I was able to put out uh, just last week. And so um, thank you for sharing this. And um, again, when I talk about some of these things, we're just talking about problematic language and how we can like think about these things or say things different. So we can do exactly what you're talk talking about, Parker, is get better at communicating as people in ways that don't hurt or belittle one another and then recognize the depth and complexity of people's positionality, where they're coming from and how they see the world. So after the Council Culture podcast, uh, Parker says, thank you so much. This is very much needed these days. Just like you said, like I've, like just like you said, and I've seen it countless times, people are so quick to want to cancel people and just throw them away like they're a piece of trash, yet never give them the opportunity to learn lessons or apologize. Uh, it's just so beyond childish that people would get to this level and some people would have a blast doing it like it's their new hobby. I hope this message spreads and I hope uh, it spreads because it's so true. Thank you, Rowdy. Um, you know, uh, there's a quote that I heard the other day. There's none so judging, judging as the person whose mind is newly freed, right? Um, I think when you become awake to things, you start seeing injustice everywhere. And because you start seeing injustice everywhere, you want to fight injustice everywhere. And that's one of those things that can happen when you see, like, super active like social justice warrior types and again not all social justice warrior people are this way but again like I think that's part of the behavior pattern that you're attempting to discuss and again uh, it takes time right you have to really be in this to see and also be really self-critical like where have you made mistakes where are you doing things badly right we always want to talk about everybody else the problem is there's a lot of work to do in here and the more we can talk about the work that we're doing in here and how we're healing and growing from that stuff I think the better we can get at uh, seeing everybody in the process of becoming hopefully their best self. Not all people do, right? Um, but some people, well, I think most people would be willing to if we could see the best in them. 
but not all people are going to change either, and we don't want to waste our time on people that aren't going to change anyway. Thank you very much for this, Parker. I know this was big, and I know there's a lot of things that I wanted to address in this, but um, you and us being in dialogue is something that people can watch and learn from and grow from, and so I appreciate the fact that you're willing to engage in this dialogue as well as allow me to read it on the podcast for other people to hear from and learn from and experience from too. Uh, got another one from Christina. Uh, said, hey, I started listening to my pod- to your podcast, my podcast, and recommend it to my partner. Thank you for putting the energy into it as well as sharing your truth. There have, we have been going through a lot recently, and you have, Calvin, brought, have brought so much energy and prompts into reflection. It is a beautiful opportunity to learn. Selfishly, it is great to hear your voices, too. I hope you're well, and I hope you're staying healthy. Um, yes, we are well, and we are staying healthy. Uh, I'm very, very... Uh, I have several friends, like Christina, who are teachers, who are looking at potentially having to go on to campus and teach this semester, and I'm really hoping to see like a strike or really people change their minds about this stuff really quickly. Hey, Tinky. Uh, because I'm really worried about what might happen to them. So if we can take a second and send like positive energy, positive thoughts and prayers to folks that are in K through 12 education. Some of these folks are looking at going back into the classroom next week. And during this pandemic, uh, that's kind of a scary notion. But I think there's time for change. And I think like if the rest of us add our voices on behalf of teachers who are going through this uh, specific difficult moment, I think we could really uh, get to a space where we can co-advocate for one another and we keep our teachers safe as well as our kids safe. This one is from Mr. Vaughn. Great job, brother. Uh, Love this and thanks for the presentation. I have been speaking this mindset for the past three and a half years. When community members have canceled individuals from the community, I have always wondered why we were refused to embrace embrace council council like council culture, thereby helping the individual to understand the effect of the infraction in an effort to elevate them and bring them to a more positive perspective. We have used words like ban or prohibited, not realizing they are doing nothing more than suppressing um, these thoughts and ideas. Thank you for encouraging a new pattern for resolution in the midst of conflict. Thank you for being a part of this space. Take care. Well, thank you, Mr. Vaughn. Mr. Vaughn is somebody I very much look forward to. He has a calm presence uh, in his masculine energy that is open and welcome to people of all genders, and I'm hoping to grow up to become more of that type of person since I uh, do have masculine energy within me, and I think you are a great uh, person for showing the paradigm of how we can learn and grow together when we give people the opportunity to learn and grow and potentially become better. But sometimes people don't change because you think they're impossible to change and then that allows them to stay in their corner of being the same because you've pushed them away from community with you. Uh, this is from my friend Tyler Walls from Indigenous Vision, a educational nonprofit. Very insightful. This idea reminds me of the Longhouse or Kiva where younger generations will receive counsel from our elders who have, who have decades of lived experience and thousands of years of traditional knowledge. Your work is important and our communities are benefiting, benefiting from the experience you bring. Thank you, Tyler. You too. Like that nonprofit that you're doing is amazing. And I loved your training that I got to attend the other day. 
Thanks a huge amount for including Indigenous Vision, an educational nonprofit. Again, check them out. They were part of the links in the council culture description. To me, cultural humility is rooted in Onondaga and Haudenosaunee roots. I'm sorry, I should have looked up how to pronounce Haudenosaunee roots. Uh, and the great law of peace, which is at least a thousand years old. Quick note on that. Um, indigenous people, part of our language, had peace-building processes, processes embedded in it that um, English doesn't have or sometimes romantic European languages don't have in it. Um, and that's why being able to speak indigenous language is so important. And again, when I speak in, say and speak indigenous languages, I'm not talking about just the indigenous peoples here in North America or indigenous people in Australia or New Zealand. Uh, again, like, um, there's uh, Celtic people, there's uh, like ancient Druids that spoke like indigenous languages that were connected to the land that was around them, and they spoke peace processes that we don't know how to speak today because you had to live in community with people. Like there was a person in your small group of people that like you had to find a way to get along with, and there was language that, that we don't know now that helped us do those things. In a contemporary, Tyler goes on to say, in a contemporary context, I find value in living according to our treaties with Western nations, beginning with the two-row wampum treaty of 1613 between the Haudenosaunee and the newly arrived Dutch colonies. Uh, side note, the Dutch have a process like this too, Tyler, and that's why probably why that peacemaking process worked well, is because Dutch people had a process like that in their European areas and so given that these two cultures had this peacemaking possibility and that they understood this long discussion and hearing each other process probably helped a lot towards that. Under this treaty three principles were agreed to so right if we're going to look at really living with people we got to consider these three processes ourselves from Tyler. Friendship is the first principle that you would agree to. After friendship, the second is peace, right? So we're going to agree to be friends and we're going to agree that peace is the value that matters most that will guide our decisions. And then the last principle is forever. So we agree to friendship, we agree to peace, and we agree to forever as our guiding principles that help us navigate through conflict together. Oh, what would that look like if we did that in the world? Oh, forever means forever, says Tyler, and we must live this today and pass this on to our children's children. This is where the concept of seven generations apply, where we vision the world we want our great-grandchildren to live seven generations into the future. Isn't that just such a perfect way of summarizing that? Tyler Rawls, again, uh, if you think I'm great, it's not that I'm great, I just like know wonderful people that help push me to become uh, this person I'm striving after being every single day. Uh, this is from Harriet, one of the other folks that I tagged as a council of culture expert. Wow, I had to take some time and watch and reflect on this when I, and then I had to imply it to my own thinking. I'm definitely guilty of can cancel culture, as are we all from time to time. And honestly, it's through hurt and exhaustion, right? I think that's where a lot of people are, is they're experiencing deep hurt and exhaustion. And it's really hard to have the heart to engage in council culture over and over again. That's why I think having this community of council culture experts that can co-support and listen to each other and love each other, uh, give us the strength to go back and um, fight the ideas and try to save as many people, uh, save the humanity within individuals uh, as much as possible. 
Uh, I'm also guilty of council culture, but I've never really thought about putting in returns, right? Yes, of course you're guilty of council culture. That's why, Harriet, I told you, you were one of the experts here. Uh, it has been reflected in the work I do because I refuse to give up on humanity. Thank you, Harriet. Me too. It's hard some days, though, isn't it? I really loved, what I really loved about this was going back into indigenous thinking as well as centering thoughts and ideas within the community. I love the power of your words and I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. If you could see me right now, I'm standing and applauding. Well, I applaud you too as well. And thank you, Harriet, for being the person that you are, getting ready to start the work and making a difference in their spaces of influence. I love that. Another email from Misty. Thank you for your pod to podcast today. The podcast was on the story of the dog and the nail. Oh, remember that one? The dog and the nail. Why are you howling? Just get off the nail. Well, it's hard. We get used to our nails, don't we? It totally hit the nail on the head. Love the pun. Thank you, Misty. And it was perfect timing for me I was as I was sitting here howling on my own nail. Oof. She says, seriously, I was sitting in self-pity at that exact moment when I started listening to it. But then I had a thought. So this is her thought on this like nail analogy. Have you ever laid down on a bed of nails at the science center? And I have, I have laid on the bed of nails. Literally, you lay down on hundreds of nails and you don't feel a thing. So she goes on to expound on this analogy. Perhaps it is possible that we can lie on so many nails that we become numb to them and cannot feel them as if they were individual nails. I thought that was a really interesting idea. I think we can sometimes become numb to our own pain to where we don't even recognize that it hurts us. But I think as we become more awake, more alive and enlightened beings, we see patterns of nail behavior that we can then begin to remove, to remove and then heal that trauma as well as the historical trauma associated with parts of our uh, oppressed identities to become more happy, healed, whole, and healthy. I just came up with that, but I can't wait to do it. Right. Um, perhaps this numbness carries into our actions when we are the Mr. Tans. I think Mr. Tans is, was the example of the person that was just bewildered. Like, why do you feel like that? Why, why are you howling? Just get off the nail, right? We become numb to the experience of other people's pain because we're so not dealing with our own pain and experience. Make sense? We are so numb that we are unable to feel enough to want to help. I think that's very insightful, Misty. I think until we start engaging in our own personal work, we are numb to the pain of other people. And that makes it so it's harder to be inclusive activists. People, it's hard to engage in that emerging evolution of becoming more human. And uh, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there yourself, sister. Um... <clears throat> So this is this idea of like being numb to pain. We also have this sense of learned helplessness, right? We think we have no agency. We think we have no power in which to change or make a difference in our lives. Everybody has power. Like every person also deals with oppression too. But still, like if we can engage in our own sense of wholeness and work on healing ourselves as well as working to heal other people, we become more and more strengthened, we become more and more empowered and have more and more this ability to help heal others. We may be able, Misty goes on to say, we may be, we, maybe we develop this defense mechanism because we are recognizing that feeling inch, each individual nail can be overwhelmingly painful and we humanly can't do it on our own. 
What a beautiful analogy, Misty. I think that is the case. I think we experience so much pain and we are so afraid to talk about it that nobody reaches out for help. Like we're all just thrashing in the water drowning um, and we refuse to just reach out and grab the hand of the person next to us and we could just swim and float together. Uh, that being said, thank you again for your podcast as I decide to make the move of getting off one nail at a time. Thank you, Misty. I appreciate that. And then our last comment of the day is from Ariane. I don't know if I say your name right, Ariane, but that's why I was hoping for, like, voicemails. Um, but again, our Ariane, sorry. Uh, she says, I am so inspired by your podcast. I really struggled with feeling like activism isn't always inclusive, and I feel your, like your podcast gives me the tools to be more inclusive. Something that my friend said recently was how the term colonial mindset might be more accurate than the whiten, whiteness mindset. She feels that people can get caught up in the white part of it. However, I think it can go both ways. I think adding a race component to it can maybe help the generally white population recognize the part they play in it. I would agree. I think that's that's true too. What are your thoughts on verbalizing this mentality in the way that is inclusive? Um, so for me, it's recognizing that like white people are hurt by racism too, but we don't analyze that because we never really analyze dominant ideologies. And when I say dominant, it's just like the idea. Uh, the better language in my point of view is perceived normative ideologies, right? So we don't use terms like white American because we associate American with whiteness already. We only talk about like Native American, Hispanic American, African American, right? So the assumption in American is whiteness. Uh, just like uh, when we passively use terms about that that don't include men when we talk about domestic violence, right? We talk about women that were battered, not men who abused, right? We passively exclude uh, folks from perceived normative ideologies, and then those ideologies don't get examined. And because we never examine whiteness, because people go, well, I'm white, does that mean I'm bad? No, whiteness is behavior specific, not identity specific, right? So we wanna like remove the idea of white, like white's here, you could be a white person, but then not prolificate whiteness. And then you can practice whiteness. You can practice whiteness and not be white as well. Right? Whiteness practices are practices that um, make or help whiteness be seen as perceived normative, like the way to be, the standard, the expectation, right? Anybody can do that. People of color can do that. When people of color uh, don't uh, use their natural accents, when they don't engage in abonics, abonics is, isn't um, like, a derivative slang it's actually linguistically its own language right so when you like see people speaking and using abonics they're actually bilingual linguistically speaking right and it's funny because like uh, whiteness will beat abonics out of like young black men and women um, or people of all genders because I get that wrong all the time uh, and what we want to do is instead of reward them for linguistically speaking two languages rather than attempt to correct them into the whiteness form of speaking, right? And so I think you're, you're correct. We would want to examine whiteness, but we don't want to 
damn white people, right? It's a practice, it's a behavior set, right? And we need to get better at speaking the difference between being a white person and practicing whiteness, because those are the two ideas that we wanna um, like separately look at. And I understand it is easier to talk about colonialism because that's like a practice that uh, is unconsciously done by all people, but so is whiteness, right? But we're so afraid to say white, right? Like my partner is white. Um, and like, we're so afraid to like examine and talk about and look at whiteness that it becomes a problem, right? We wanna normalize talking about whiteness so everybody can undo their practice of whiteness and then become um, more human, right? Because again, race is a social construct. This does not mean we don't get to look, we don't examine race. We have to examine the race because we all act as if it's true. I act as if race is true. Um, I am learning to undo this way of thinking because again, we make race truth in the way that we act with other people, right? So um, we wanna look at whiteness so we can undo our practice of whiteness and then grow into more full humans by being less associated with a racial category and more fully who we are. And uh, the difference is, is the difference, right? Like the differences and the fact that we're different and the fact that we do things different make us bigger, stronger people uh, that add more to our collective experience of humanity. And so we have to recognize difference because it's the difference that make us special and unique and wonderful. Uh, personally, I've been struggling whether this was a correlation or causation. Um, it, uh, so whiteness and colonialism uh, could be a little bit of both, um, but we want to like tease those things apart a little bit separately because uh, even like when I when I went to Nigeria, I saw colonial mindsets within African people because they have been colonialized, right? So when you look at folks that um, like push education, uh, push like Christianity, which isn't necessarily bad, right? But like. Um, like the higher you go in social class, the more apt you are to get an education at a university in Nigeria, and the more you happen to be Christian too. Uh, the more you tend to practice your ancient indigenous religions in Nigeria, the more poor you happen to be. Uh, the less education you tend to get in Nigeria, the more you're seen as like backwards or less than. Again, generally not like by all people, but it's practices, right, that can happen. But that's why we have to look at whiteness and colonialism separately because they act different and they do things different. Even in Nigeria, whiteness norms are practiced uh, and colonial norms are practiced. But some things have to do with race and some things have to do with um, exploitation and oppression. And colonialism is more about exploitation and oppression than it is about separating, separating and favoring one race over other races. I hope that makes sense. How much of society stems from our colonial past versus our religious history? Oh, that's a lot to unpack too. Because um, Christianity, which was a liberating religious frame as espoused by Jesus, because Jesus wasn't a Christian, Jesus was Jewish, um, but the things Jesus did kind of got co-opted by Christianity through Paul slash Saul and some of his followers, and it became a religion of empire, of a dominant oppressive ideology uh, against other systems at times. Not all Christians are oppressive. There are 
those that practice liberation theology within Christianity that sends to free and emancipate oppressed peoples and population. And that's what Jesus attempted to do, right? But when you look at Christianity, sometimes Christianity doesn't seem super connected to Jesus in the way that it treats non-Christian people. And that's the things that we got to tease apart and get better at. And then colonialism, it gets super entwined with Christianity because of missionary trips, right? Missionary trips is another form of colonization, right? When we're going in and forcing or uh, creating a, a place where people, like, hey, I'll give you new shoes if you come to church, right? That becomes problematic, right? Like, if someone wants to become Christian just because they think Christianity is awesome and they thought Jesus said some really cool things and they want to do those things, fantastic. But you shouldn't be like, we got food after service. That becomes problematic. And the good Christians I know that um, understand Christianity is not just about helping the Christian people around you, but it's about helping all people and helping um, humanity and serving others and making a difference on behalf of oppressed other people. Those are the people that I like because they're like, hey, this is just who I am. And the reason I do these things is because of like the love of Christ working in me that makes me do these things from you. Like, hopefully I live in such a way that maybe you want to ask about why I feel this way. And then I can then um, proselytize to you and because you're asking. But um, it's never been meant to like just go put on people. I think in my way of reading the book is it was meant to like make you such the person that people would ask what helps you be this thing and it's a connection to a bigger whole that helps to drive that. That being said, I don't practice all things in Christianity perfectly right. I'm also influenced by Buddhism, I'm influenced by indigenous religious thinking that helps me see religion and have a better more full connection of the God. Um, I don't think, like I think Jesus was a like, if you look from a Buddhist frame, I feel Jesus was a bodhisattva, an enlightened being that came back to help others. Um, so if you look at it from that frame. But, like, Jesus, Buddha, God, I think there's so many paths to what's bigger than us. And uh, picking one versus the other is problematic. And um, I think God is too big for potentially one religion to handle. Like, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light, like, it, like, if you look at language, it actually is more of like, I am a way and truth and light, not the only way. It was like, it wasn't like saying the one and only way. It's this way brings you to this stuff as well. That's the way linguistically that worked when you're looking at the different, like, the he, oh gosh. I can't remember the, like, the original religion that they spoke. Aramaic? Aramaic. So you have to break down Aramaic to Greek to English, and sometimes translation just gets lost there. Uh, she goes on to say, for example, perfectionism and judgment is something that I attribute to religion more than whiteness. It's in both spaces, really. Um, like, like the fact that you can get 100% on something is like such a... It's, it is a religious as well as whiteness-related idea because you can see... Um, there's not like religion in the school systems always like you can have a secular I think I'm using that term right school system and the idea that you can get a hundred on something would mean that you know all there is to know or that you answered and know all these things perfectly in depth and in detail and that doesn't really exist in the world right like you did well enough to say that you know how to answer the questions in this area but it doesn't mean that like you're a hundred percent on anything 
Um, obviously, it's really tricky to tease apart all these things, absolutely. And I was thinking maybe in the future you consider podcasting on some of these thoughts at some point in the future. And I may, um, because there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, looking at the difference between whiteness and colonialism and um, like religious dominance and how that works out with other people would be a really great podcast to look at. But with that, I also want to say thank you so much to everybody that comments, that sends me an email, that... Um, sends me a direct message on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. This stuff helps a lot because, again, I've always wondered, am I just talking to myself alone in this bedroom or am I making a difference? Are we creating a community? Are we doing something beautiful together that is bigger than just you and me or whoever happens to be I and whoever's earbuds I happen to be in? And I want to say I noticed that some people had less comments and reviews about the podcast as well, and uh, I really appreciate that too. Little things like you sharing the council culture thing, you um, rating and reviewing the podcast, you sending emails goes a long way to help, one, get me and Calvin back together. Because in this post-George Floyd civil rights happening anew all over again time, I'm very taxed. Calvin's very taxed. We're having a really hard time like syncing our schedules to give you more emerging loot evolution podcasts i have two more and then we're out of stuff right but this stuff shows that we're making a difference this shows that we're connecting this shows that we're giving you the tools to make a difference for others in the world and that's what we do this for like you notice there's no ads and if there was ads we would just use the money to go like make a bigger difference for other people right um but uh, we do this because we want to help heal you. We want to do this because we want to help teach you. We do this because we want to help you become the best person you possibly can because you live in community with us. The more I help you grow, the more you help me as we become bigger me's into this better we together. So with that, if these questions, thoughts, or ideas made you think anything, you can email me, inclusiveactivismatcox.net. You can drop a message on the Inclusive Activism Podcast on Facebook. You can instant message me on Instagram. You can instant message me on Facebook. You can email me. Um, you can record a voicemail, and then I can play your MP3, and we can talk back and forth, which would be super fun to do. Uh, I know how to do that technologically, and I'm excited about that idea. But again, share, rate, review, all those little things go on to make such a big difference because I'm trying to build something bigger than this for me. And I'm not doing this so I can be in like a public eye or super famous. I'm doing this because this process has helped heal me so much as a person. And as I awaken more, as I learn more, as I have the ability to make a difference for other people more, I become a happier, more whole person myself. And I also know that I'm making a difference and making a happier and wholer world for everyone else. So thank you uh, for being in community with me. Thank you for taking the time to write me and making comments and things of that nature. Uh, because it goes a long way to tell me that I'm making a difference and it goes a long way to tell me that this is a value to you and it's worth my time and effort. So with that, I love you all. Thank you so much. Uh, if you get an opportunity, email, message, comment, whatever, Calvin, CalvinBTerrell at gmail.com. He's on Facebook. He's on Instagram. Send him some direct, like I could really use your help in sending him some direct messages saying this is a benefit to us. This is a value to us so we can find we can bend heaven and earth <laughs> to get together again and find a way to maybe talk to you even in a video format. So with that, peace, love, and blessings. Thank you for your time and attention. Thank you for being in dialogue with me. And thank you for being willing to engage in this process. And I hope you're well. And we'll talk again next time.